Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show, your source for the latest news and trends in the e-commerce industry. Featuring host Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, SVP of Commerce at Razorfish, and Scott Wingo, founder and executive chairman of Channel Advisor. Here are Jason and Scott. Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show. This is episode 129 being recorded on Monday, April 30th, 2018. I'm your host, Jason Retail Geek Goldberg. And as usual, I'm here with your co-host, Scott Wingo. Hey, Jason, and welcome back, Jason and Scott Show listeners. Well, folks, tonight we want to focus on some Amazon news because there's been a lot of really big Amazon news that has hit the wire in the last week or so. And we've been busily publishing our Shop Talk interviews and wanted to interrupt the flow of those coming out so that you get something a little more uh, timely here and so that you know how to digest this Amazon news and think about what it means for your business. Jason, why don't you kick it off? Yeah, so two big events that we're going to talk about tonight – um, early last week, Jeff Bezos released his annual shareholder letter. And as we've talked about several times on the show, there's something, uh, that he publishes every year. Um, he publishes one for the current year and he republishes the first one he wrote, which is 97, if I'm remembering right. Is that? That is correct. Ding, ding. Um, and, uh, highly recommend you read the 97 one if you haven't, um, We'll, we'll uh, maybe talk about that a little bit later. Uh, but then later in the week, Amazon did uh, their earnings announcement and uh, tons of interesting things uh, from both events. So that's what we want to talk about tonight. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to jump into the earnings. Um, let's look at the high level and then we can kind of dig in. Uh, so one thing that's kind of interesting is there's a new accounting standard coming out. I know you're excited about this, Jason. Oh, my uh, God. I've been like my family have been on pins and needles for months waiting for this. Yep. So sit down, folks. It's a it's a big one. Buckle up. Uh, and so the uh, I know a lot of this because I am involved with a public company, but the there's a group called the uh, general uh, accounting uh, standard thingy gap. <laughs> and they, they have come out with a new way of recognizing some revenue uh, and it's called uh, accounting standard 606. Um, and this is Im- impacting all kinds of businesses. Uh, one example of how it's impacted Amazon is Amazon used to take prime subscriptions and weight it heavily towards the fourth quarter because that's when they got a lot of signups. And this standard says you can't do that. You have to allocate it uh, equally amongst quarters. You can't do weighted averaging and things like that. So it causes a little chaos in in the world of uh, looking at these kind of results because you suddenly have apples and oranges. So tonight on the show, we will We'll do our best to kind of straighten that out whenever it comes up. But it's interesting just for folks to be aware of because you'll start to see some really weird numbers coming out. And if you see this 606, that's a clue that just the rules are changing under underneath. It's not the company doing some kind of weird shenanigans. So that being said, the best way to kind of give a 30,000-foot summary of Amazon's first quarter is it was a blowout quarter. Um, So uh, not only did Amazon exceed pretty much every Wall Street expectation um, and its own kind of guidance, but uh, the thing I watch even more closely is the growth rates. And pretty much every growth rate we track here at the Jason Scott Show has accelerated, um, which is pretty impressive. So they had a very strong fourth quarter. So to accelerate, 
year over year coming off a of fourth quarter uh, is just pretty impressive and just shows they've they've kept a lot of momentum. Um, also, you know, we haven't had Prime Day. It's just kind of a Q1, kind of a normal, you know, a kind of a boring quarter, to be honest with you, in the world of e-commerce. Usually it's a breather quarter, uh, but Amazon, uh, you know, doesn't take breathers and they just soaked up a bunch of share. Um, so the let's see. So we're going to talk about the marketplace briefly. Uh, but then one of the things we want to spend a little bit of time on is the ad business. So we're going to jump into that in more depth this show than we have in the past. So Jason, why don't you uh, kick us off with the overall results and then we'll, we'll dig into the marketplace. Yeah. First uh, thing that caught my attention was um, shortly after the announcement, I saw uh, like a Jim Cramer segment and he called this quarter for Amazon, like the greatest quarter by a company ever. Did you? <laughs> I did. I saw that. Yeah. He, he may yeah. be slightly prone to hyperbole, but that seems like kind of a big deal. He is prone to hyperbole. Uh, my favorite is when he uh, famously wrote on his knuckles, Goog 600. Um, uh, kind of turns out he was right. But uh, yeah, it's, it's uh, you know, he gets very excited. He coined Fang, so uh, which is Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google. So he watches these stocks all pretty closely. For sure, for sure. Um, and so the first number we want to talk about is the growth. And uh, before I make the big reveal, uh, let's remind listeners like what kind of growth numbers are impressive. Um, so in most cases, you hear folks talk about the typical annual growth rate for e-commerce is around 15%. Um, and to put that in perspective – Good uh, brick and mortar retail growth right now is maybe 4%, average is like 1%. Um, so 15% um, is much faster growth than uh, retail as a whole already, which is kind of impressive. But the 15% number actually has some controversy that comes with it. So uh, most of the folks that cite these 15% numbers in they vary slightly. So, you know, if, depending on whether you're getting a, an NRF number or a Comscore number or a direct number from the U.S. Department of Commerce, um, 15 could be 17 or, or 16. And a lot of that has to do with their definition of retail, exactly what categories are are in or not in their number. Um, but But most of those companies base their estimates on raw data from the U.S. Department of Commerce. And they tend to all come in with North American growth at right around 15%. And so when we look at a company's growth, we're kind of comparing it to that 15% number. Um, I will say that most of the companies we track are growing substantially faster than that 15%. And it kind of throws that 15% in doubt. You know, So for example, Amazon alone um, is – uh, right around 50% of all e-commerce, uh, you know, arguably a bigger percentage of the growth. Uh, some of the other big retailers, Walmart and Target, um, Best Buy, and, you know, if all of those huge companies are growing at north of 15%, it's it's actually hard to figure out how you land at 15%. Um, and there there are some economists that, uh, you know, find fault in uh, the the Department of Commerce's methodology for tracking e-commerce sales. So I'll just throw that out there uh, for your consideration. But that being said, uh, Amazon's Q1 number uh, was $51 billion in revenue, which is a 43% year-over-year increase. Um, so – like you know, dramatically above that fifteen percent. If you take out currency fluctuation, that's thirty nine percent at at uh, constant currency. Uh, 
if you take out the Whole Foods acquisition, they grew at 27 percent. Um, and the, the thing I like to remind people is usually we talk about uh, the biggest players in the industry and then we talk about the fastest growers in the industry. So usually you're talking about, you know, uh, company X, maybe it's Walmart, you know, with the, the hugest percentage of the, the retail market. And then you're talking about Warby Parker is the fastest grower. Um, so it's it's extremely rare and, you know, frankly, scary uh, when we talk about Amazon and, and uh, e-commerce and we talk about them as both the the dramatic market leader and um, uh, one of the very fastest growers. So one thing I always like to remind people, like whenever you see these kind of numbers, uh, you always get someone in the room pointing out that, hey, that's great. But like, you know, it's easy to grow when you're not profitable um, and you're you're uh, sort of buying buying market share. And, you know, so there, there's this common diatribe that that uh, uh, Amazon is funded by AWS and now maybe the ads and the, the, the core retail part of their business isn't profitable. Um, and I would really encourage people to sort of update their their thinking on that. Um, there's, you know, significant evidence that most parts of the the retail business in mature markets are profitable. Um, their operating income this year, uh, this quarter, increased ninety-two percent to one point nine billion in the first quarter. So, if you back into the math, um, the the um, bulk of that that uh, growth came from the ad business and AWS. Um, so, it is fair to make the argument um, that those are the the fastest growing businesses and contributing the most to the revenue. Um, but, you know, remember that Jeff Bezos uh, always talks about uh, revenue and profitability not being the, the, the key success criteria and the, the fact that free cash flow is really what Amazon's trying to optimize for. Um, and on a free cash flow basis, the, the retail business is, is like the majority contributor to their revenue. Yeah, that, that's a good point. The um, uh, and the reason free cash flow is more measurable is because it's cash, right? And uh, you know, you, you pay stockholders back in cash, not operating income. Operating income is a an accounting based thing that's uh, important in a lot of different businesses, but it's really hard in Amazon's business for it to matter because you have all these rules that spread revenue out, um, even though you got the cash, and then they also spread out CapEx to depreciate it. So uh, it really kind of distorts what's going on. So FCF is a better way to look at Amazon and how they run the business. So so when you look at that, free cash flow came in at $7.2 billion. Um, that's down uh, from 10.1 a year ago, but it's not down because of an operating reason. It's because what you have is you have total free cash flow, you subtract out capital investments, and then you're left with kind of net free cash flow. So that 7.2 this year, Q1, is down from the 10.1 last year. But if you take out the investments they're making in, quote unquote, you know, property and equipment purchases, and I'll talk about that in a second, uh, the, the gross free cash flow was 18 billion and then they've invested 10.9 billion in capex this quarter. So when you we kind of say to yourself you you made this point earlier, you know, they're so big and they continue to grow, how do they do that? They are still investing at a just tremendous clip, you know, they're taking about, you know, more than half of that free cash flow and investing it back into growth. Uh, and that's 
that's pretty crazy. You know, not many businesses, uh, I'm not an expert on Walmart, but I think they, you know, they're probably investing, I would imagine 10 to 15% into growth. Uh, and here Amazon's investing like 50% of free cash flow into, into growth. And, you know, where that nets out, what is that? Um, it's a lot of things. So it's, buying rights for movies and things for the streaming. That's a small part of it. Uh, uh, the two biggest chunks are going to be equipment for the cloud computing and fulfillment centers. You know, they, they continue to build fulfillment centers at just an enormous clip. They're building out the prime facility in CVG, uh, you know, so uh, just amazing amount of investment in infrastructure they're making to keep this business growing at the pace it's growing at. A year ago, that that same kind of investiture was 7.4 billion. So they've ramped that investment up from 7.4 billion to to 11 billion uh, year over year. So that creates a headwind on capex. That's why it went down year over year. But it's because I think they're increasingly bullish that they can grow this business for the foreseeable future at at least 2x this rate of e-commerce, which is which is pretty crazy. You know, at some point you do run out of fulfillment centers to build, I would imagine, you know, <laughs> but, uh, you know, even in the U S they continue to just bang them out and, and invest in the, like the same day infrastructure with the planes and whatnot. Yeah. And again, uh, all those investments are a, a long-term competitive advantage. It's a moat against everybody else. Yeah. And at some point when they stop doing those investments, that free cash flow number, you know, right now, if they weren't doing those investments would be 18 billion, which would be a lot of cash. Uh, but if they keep growing 30%, you know, that, <laughs> that number, you know, could conceivably get up into 30, 40, $50 billion in free cash flow. Uh, and that's why that's how wall street's valuing this thing. Um, because if you look at kind of the, you know, the, the single digit billions that they're making an operating profit, you're like, wow, how, why is this thing worth nearly a trillion dollars? It's the free cash flow. And that's what wall street, you know, is watching. Uh, and when you can see a path to free cash flow being like that, it, it's a, uh, you know, it makes sense to invest at the pace that wall street is. Yeah. And Oh, by the way, they also dropped 22.6 billion in R and D, which is way more than any other company, like way more than any tech company invests in R and D. Yeah, let's peel the onion and uh, take us on into some of the, the interior results. Yeah. Um, so as a reminder, like they break their revenue down into these three big lines of business that are uh, all, you know, material to their their revenue. Um, so the first is North America. Um, so North America was up 46% year over year. Um, so that drove $1.1 billion in profits. Um, without Whole Foods, that's uh, 26% year-over-year growth, um, so pretty healthy in North America, which is their most mature market. Um, international was up 21% uh, based on constant currency, and they lost uh, about $622 million on that. Um, so, you know, a couple of things to note there. That loss was actually much smaller than most of the analysts were forecasting for international. A lot of the international markets are much newer and uh, Amazon is uh, investing to win those markets. Uh, you know, some of those markets, India in particular, uh, is, you know, potentially the biggest prize out there, either India or China. Um, but India is largely perceived as like the, the biggest uh, potential consumer market that, that, you know, doesn't have a dominant player that already has it locked up like Amazon does North America or like Alibaba uh, does China. Uh, and so it, it really is like the, the biggest battle out there. And you, you wouldn't expect to be turning a profit in those kind of, you know, early uh, investment markets at this point. So the fact that, that on their whole international portfolio, they only lost 622 was actually 
a substantial piece of uh, good news for Amazon. Um, and then the the third uh, big chunk for them is AWS, uh, Amazon Web Services. Um, that also had phenomenal growth. That grew at 48%. Um, based on year-over-year uh, uh, con- year constant currency, uh, and profits were like 1.4 billion. Um, so you know, Amazon Web Services uh, once again 48 percent when you're already like the dominant market leader is super impressive. Uh, I think in the the shareholder letter, uh, he, uh, Jeff Bezos talked a little bit about how. Um, you know, that Amazon really had this sort of six-year head start um, before they had, uh, I think, what he called like-minded uh, competitors enter the market. And so they they got this, like, six-year advantage over everyone um, that they've really, you know, continued to keep their foot on the gas and just kind of, you know, take that early lead they were given, and they're they're using that to keep building it. And, and you know, so far they, they haven't run out of growth opportunity there, which is uh, pretty scary and amazing. Um, so sadly, uh, a business we, we like to talk about a lot is their ad business and it isn't yet big enough that it gets its own segment. So the ads are kind of blended into those, uh, three buckets. So they're, um, or at least they're in a, two of those buckets in the North American international numbers. Um, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more, uh, more about them later. Uh, but then the, the other huge piece of news, which I think gets most of the consumer uh, buzz this week, is that Amazon also announced a substantial increase in the price of a Prime membership. So they jacked up Prime to 119 bucks a year, um, which is like a 20% uh, increase for consumers. Yeah, yeah, that goes into effect uh, May 11th. So if you're not a Prime member, this is your chance to get it at a discount. Uh, and it, you know, it's con- it's interesting they're doing it now. You got to presume Prime Day will be sometime in early June. So uh, I think they're kind of ramping into Prime Day. I think they know they they probably have a lot of data that shows that's a big sign up time. So there there there's some method to the madness on that date. Are you going to cancel your Prime membership, Jason? I am not. Potentially, uh, my wife and I, which each have a Prime membership, might cancel one of them. Uh, since since uh, for, for those not in the know, uh, one Prime membership not only covers a whole household, you can actually share it with five family members. Um, and so somewhat silly that my spouse and I each have a Prime member, but, uh, membership. But, you know, those were these uh, valuable assets that we both brought into the marriage and we're both loath to let go of our, our – um, uh, old old prime membership, so we're quite financially irresponsible. I look forward to hearing whose uh, subscribe and save has to be recreated. Uh, yeah, I, uh, as with most things, I think it's pretty clear that my wife is going to win that one. <laughs> cool. Let's uh, let's do a quick review of marketplaces. So, longtime listeners will remember that Amazon does not disclose the size of the marketplace uh, from a GMV perspective, uh, but they do disclose one metric, which is the mix between, and it's a unit mix between one P and three P. Um, so that came in at a new high of fifty two percent. So fifty two percent of the units sold on Amazon are third party, um, and. We've probably said this a, a thousand times, but I'll just run through it very quickly. So uh, Amazon's revenue for the quarter is $51 billion, um, and the third party is counted you – know, their, their take rate is between 10 and 15%. I use 10% to make the math easy. So really when you, when you 
when you back into it, what you find is there's a huge hidden amount of sales happening at Amazon because they only can count 10% of those sales for the third-party marketplace. So it ends up that about you know six to seven billion of that 50 billion is revenue from the third-party marketplace, and you have to multiply that by 10 to get the actual number. Um, so this is. Uh, I used to be the only one that would pontificate on this. So when I, I run it through my calculator, I end up with the quarter at 103 billion, 37 billion first party, 66 billion third party, which is interesting. We're getting to this, even though the unit number is 52%, the first party stuff has a lower AOV because most of the digital apps, books, and uh, those kinds of things are are in first party and they have a lower AOV. So uh, it it kind of you know, it, it skews the third party tends to be uh, higher average order value. So uh, it's, you know, unit wise, it's 52%, but volume wise, we're looking at almost like 66% or 60, 40, kind of a split 60% third party, 40% first party. So, uh, so my number comes in at 103 billion. Now, Amazon is starting to give enough clues that people are kind of picking a part of those clues and, and, and figuring out. So they, they tell you, um, seller services revenue. And inside of there is FBA fees as well as third-party fees. So if you make some educated guesses, you can do some things. So one of the one of the analysts, JMP, uh, I, uh, most Wall Street analysts picked this out. They're all around the same range. Uh, they came in at 1P at 31 billion, third-party at 70 billion, so a total of 101. So right in the ballpark of where, where I've been guessing, which is good. So the punchline of this is Amazon feels like a $200 billion pace retailer, but they're really a $400 billion pace retailer. So just in this quarter, uh, you know, it feels like 50 billion, which is the top line, but there's another 50 or 60 billion kind of hidden under the mass of the iceberg, which is this marketplace. And we always encourage people, uh, you and I are on a jihad to tell all the retailers about this so that they don't underestimate the the impact of Amazon. Uh, I just, just reading an internet retailer article and they were, they were kind of doing the, they missed it this time. And, uh, that always is frustrating. Uh, one other little nugget on the marketplace side, Amazon's really, uh, pushing this new functionality called Amazon. Amazon Global Selling. They were talking a lot about it at um, Shop Talk, for example. Uh, and this is what allows smaller businesses uh, anywhere in the globe to essentially use Amazon's fulfillment network uh, and load balance globally. So you could be a seller in the UK uh, and have a product that's doing well. And if you allow Amazon, they will load balance it across Europe uh, into China and Japan, uh, and then even into the United States. So uh, they they had an interesting stat that uh, for the first time I saw uh, where they said in 2017, global sellers sales grew more than 50%. So this this kind of cohort of people doing global selling, their sales grew more than 50%. And now it represents more than 25% of third-party sales on Amazon. So it's starting to be a pretty material part as this kind of cross-border trade functionality that Amazon has. Now um, – we know at Channel Advisor, one of the red hot paths for this is China manufacturers over to the U.S. and into Europe and other markets. So, so Amazon has kind of gotten rid of all the middlemen in the import world. So you have these factories directly shipping product into FBAs across the globe, and that product is getting sold on Amazon. Uh, so it's kind of the wish model, uh, but on steroids. And that is a huge kind of growth area, but it also frustrates a lot of the sellers on Amazon because you know they're up against – uh, you know, I'm I'm selling a branded microscope, and there's a Chinese manufacturer selling the exact same thing out of the same factory without a brand for half price. Uh, so that it does cause a lot of lot of uh, angst out there in the world with this this program. 
Yeah, and uh, I think as the, the like a the the program works crazy well. Like it's super hard to move goods uh, from country to country and legally sell them. Um, and customs and tariffs and like there there uh, it used to be that that was, there was a huge competitive advantage to this like relatively small pool of people that had the expertise to navigate all those systems. And Amazon really takes all the complexity out of that. Like kids in their dorm room can now do cross border trade, um, which you know heretofore was not possible. And so as as more and more people adopt this system, uh, like. The, the fact that it, it kind of raises all tides and it, it, it also makes, you know, counterfeit product and uh, and all those things sort of more ubiquitously available is, is a growing concern. Yeah. The, another thing that people underestimate is just like um, just kind of, you know, translation. So because Amazon has this ASIN catalog, uh, if they take a certain widget and translate it, you know, it gets translated into four or five languages. The next person to come sell that widget doesn't have to do the translation. They just kind of say, you know, yes, that's the same ASIN and they get the automatic translation that's been done. They get to ride on that investment. So um if you're doing your own website or something like that, you don't get that benefit. You've got to translate it over and over and over again for every SKU, whereas Amazon gets this really nice kind of uh, reuse out of their catalog, which is another huge benefit of this program. Yeah. You know, one thing I've never asked, do you know, do they translate like the reviews or are the reviews country by country? Country by country. Gotcha. Okay. So they still have to build up the sort of social proof in each local market. Yep. Okay. Um, Anything else we want to talk about in uh, marketplaces this week? No, let's jump into ads. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, they have this uh, revenue line they call other services, which uh, we think is mostly their ad business. Do you know what else is in other services? Anything meaningful, Scott? Um, they do some uh, – they do a branded credit card and they do some other – they do on-site advertising. So the advertising we're talking about is AMG and AMS. Um, that tends to be – most Wall Street folks assume it's 95 to 98% of it. So for all intents and purposes, it's the advertising business, uh, which is the you know helping sellers promote their products. Got it. Yep. And so that whole pool uh, grew 132% year over year to $2 billion for the quarter. Um, so I think that is one of the – this is one of those categories that was affected by the 606 gap. Uh, reporting is that true? Yeah, if you if you net that out, it grew uh, paltry seventy two percent. Oh well, then I don't know why we're even wasting air talking about it. Um, <laughs> so, like, this is more one of these classic models where uh, you know Google and and Facebook are the dominant digital advertising platforms that have the bulk of the revenue, um, and you know Amazon at uh, at a much smaller base is therefore able to grow much more quickly. Um, but 72% uh, is, is still uh, red hot growth. And I think they were, that's up from 60% growth last quarter. So like uh, the pace of growth is accelerating. Um, and, you know, as a reminder for someone like Amazon, the, uh, one of the reasons ad revenue is super exciting is um, it's highly profitable, like, uh, you know, much more so than, than selling physical goods and, uh, you know, to the extent that it's successful, it, it uh, it's it's a near recurring revenue stream, and so it's it's almost like uh, a more vo- valuable dollar of revenue than some of Amazon's other sources of of uh, revenue. Um, and they re- Amazon is really quickly emerging as kind of the 
the third digital advertising platform. And so, you, you know, you've seen a lot of buzz in the trades about it. Um, you know, when people try to annualize that number, they get to a couple of different places. Like I think that I've seen some estimates in the like five to six billion dollars a year. Um, I've seen some people estimating eight or nine billion dollars a year for 2018. Um, I have a feeling some of that has to do with whether they're uh, looking at the old accounting or the new accounting. Um, there is some seasonality to advertising for uh, for a lot of these products. Um, the I, I think there is an analyst out there that kind of tried to forecast this revenue out to 2023, and they got to 36 billion. Um, so that puts you in the order of magnitude of Google and Facebook. Although you know, presumably those will both be a lot bigger by by 2023 than they are today. Um, but today, Facebook's at about like just under a fifty billion dollar run rate, so like forty eight billion dollars. Um, so if Amazon's really able to get there, that's a meaningful third competitor, and that's a pretty nice like ancillary revenue stream for Amazon on top of all the other uh, well established businesses that they have. Yeah, and we've we've talked about this. We've been pounding this drum for probably two years. That you know, um, a lot of folks think this is going to be the third leg. So the uh, retail being one, uh, I actually think marketplaces i would call the second and then aws the third and then ads the fourth you know billion dollars and then you and i've talked about uh, voice slash alexa being number five um so so i think there's kind of five legs to the stool which is which is not fair you only need three but anyway that's that's life with amazon it's a very stable stool <laughs> it is a very stable stool uh and um you know i th- you know i i think it's going to be really interesting. So Facebook's had some stumbles here. You know, Google has some headwinds in certain areas. Uh, in fact, Google had a really nice quarter and their stock didn't really move much. And I think a lot of it is people are starting to think, hmm, when does this, you know, so if Amazon's growing this business at, call it 72%, uh, when does it start to eat into Facebook and Google? And uh, it's long been an industry metric that something like 25% of Google's revenue comes from product-based terms, which makes sense because they're, you know, if you kind of think about the verticals at Google, you have kind of a retail vertical, a finance vertical, auto, uh, those kinds of things. Um, the, you know, it feels like it would be a pretty big one. Um, Facebook, uh, also, you know, I, there's a fair num- amount of product that's advertised on Facebook. We've had them on the show several times talking about all the great offerings they have there. So it's going to be really interesting to see as this ramps up, do, you know, at some point there's gotta be some share that gets taken. Uh, and you know, maybe, maybe the lines cross faster than we think they are. If, if maybe if Amazon on its path to that 36 billion, maybe Facebook doesn't keep growing at kind of the pace it is because there's gotta be some loss of share somewhere in there. And, uh, you know, when we, uh, at, at channel Advisor, when we talk to brands specifically, they're moving big dollars to this. Um, and a lot of it comes from, you're, you're probably more, you got more data than I do on this, but a lot of it's coming out of old school media, but a lot of it's coming out of Google budgets and things of that, because they're just feeling like this is actually more measurable than the Google stuff. Because if you're a brand, it's hard to go buy Google ads because you usually have to fund a retailer to do it. And it's really complicated and you have to trust their data and it gets really, really murky. Um, but if you're a brand, you get really good data back from Amazon on exactly what's going on. So, so to the brands, it feels like one of the most measurable things they're doing. Uh, and then last point, we, we had uh, Jamie from Durrell on, uh, and remember he was talking about how they can actually measure offline impact of Amazon advertising because so many people are starting their product searches at Amazon. They saw 
um, sales at like Walmart and Costco go up when they did a very kind of isolated program at Amazon. So this is this is a pretty interesting area of, of Amazon, and we're keeping a close eye on it. And encourage everyone to to watch this because, uh, and if you haven't experimented in your business, this is where I'd be putting a lot of effort heading into holiday uh, eighteen because I think it's going to be a really big opportunity. Yeah, for sure. Two, uh, so one thing I know you mentioned, Jamie, uh, just a, a piece of side news. Uh, Jamie's actually left Durrell and he's now running e-commerce for Keurig, which is uh, interesting. So we're, uh, I'll look forward to having him back on the show to talk about his experience there in the near future. Um, and, you know, two interesting things about advertising that at the moment, the reason that you probably don't feel like Amazon's growth coming out of Google and Facebook is because it's, it is like all digital advertising is growing very rapidly as it's coming out of the traditional um, sort of dead tree media, right? So, so uh, print and in uh, television. And if you think about the the traditional base advertising, um, you know, most advertising comes from brands, not retailers, uh, and they historically do two kinds of advertising. Like they do advertising to build awareness for their brand. So they'll buy a Super Bowl ad or they'll buy an ad in a magazine that just says, you know, Mercedes Benz cars are great or, you know, uh, bounty towels are the quicker picker upper or whatever, whatever the case may be. Um, and the success criteria for those ads are just how many people saw it. Um, or maybe they'll do some study to say how many people remember our brand as a result of seeing that ad, right? So the 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 outcomes of those ads are uh, that the ad reached a person um, and that maybe the person remembered it. And then brands do this other kind of advertising where they partner with a retailer and what they call trade advertising. And most of that advertising is like ads in the paper for their products um, and you know what we call store circulars. Um, or even, you know, a lot of the advertising in the store, the, the point of purchase advertising, um, is funded by manufacturers. So, um, when you think about, uh, digital, the, a lot of the Google advertising is replacing that brand awareness advertising. Um, and it has those same kind of success criteria, like how big was the audience that saw my Google ad? Um, but one of the things that's super, you know, interesting and appealing about the Amazon ads um, are that you your success criteria is how much good you sold, right? So you you do get much lower on the funnel um, as people start to lose confidence in these advertising vehicles. Uh, the safe place to be is the advertising vehicles where you can actually measure a true ROI. Um, and so Amazon actually has a big competitive advantage over Google and Facebook in being able to quantify the value of the ads, which is super interesting. But the other interesting thing is Amazon can actually draw ad revenue from both of those old school models, right? So Amazon can get ads from the CMO at Procter & Gamble that used to buy a, a Super Bowl ad. And Amazon can credibly make the argument that you'll get more eyeballs um, on our platform than you will on the Super Bowl. But they can also get ad uh, revenue from those trade teams um, that were, you know, historically buying store circulars and, and advertising in-store at Walmart and instead get them to advertise next to the products in Amazon. And so systemically, those are two big advantages over the other big digital platforms that in the long run make Amazon a real scary competitor to Amazon, uh, Facebook and Google. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, there's a fair amount of ad load on the site, 
but you know, there's uh, an auction underneath there. So there's a fair amount of room to run. So Google, for example, has had, you know, near the same ad load, they tweaked it, but you know, call it around the same ad load and, and they continue to grow for the last 10 years. So, so just within the current system, but, but Amazon hasn't even, they're kind of version one Oh on a lot of their tools and uh, they haven't even really started with video. So one of the smartest acquisitions I think Amazon did, a lot of people don't pay attention to is Twitch. So you see all these people now that are making, uh, there's this guy, Ninja, he makes like 500 K a month uh, streaming uh, Fortnite and other games. Uh, well, that he uses Twitch for that. And you can imagine that's a pretty interesting audience for people to monetize. So uh, there's, there's some really interesting things that they can do. And they're also doing the Thursday night NFL. So you could even say, Mr. Brand, let's run an NFL ad and I can sell you exact, exactly how much Tide you sold uh, you know, in this ad uh, versus you know, just eyeballs. For sure, which is very powerful. I think that NFL deal may be one of the main reasons uh, they're able to get away with 120 bucks. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Um, so last little piece on the quarterly earnings. Uh, everyone, uh, Wall Street is very much a what have you done for me lately thing. So like, good job, great quarter. What's coming next quarter? So uh, it's Amazon's practice to provide forward guidance. And they released their Q2 guidance. And they said revenue is going to come in uh, at a growth rate between 34 and 42 percent, which is 38 percent at the midpoint. Uh, this this exceeded what all, Wall Street was thinking there. So in uh, kind of classic Wall Street parlance, it was a beat. So the the current quarter beat expectations and then they raise. So it was a beat and raise, which is kind of what you want. And it was a, it wasn't kind of a, you know, it was a wallop and a, a huge jump up kind of thing. Um, so uh, correspondingly, you saw the stock really take a nice move. Um, and then most of the analysts have raised their price targets up into the stock's kind of in the 1500s right now. Um, most people have raised the stock up to uh, the highest I saw was 2020, which was actually a, uh, a fun number where that, I think that's right when they get to a trillion dollars. So uh, that was Scott Devitt over at Stiefel raised it up to 2020, kind of saying, you know, pounding his chest that this is going to be the first trillion dollar stock. Um, to that point, we we pretty regularly, about once a quarter when we do these shows, we talk about this race to a trillion dollars. So when you uh, – with public companies, you have a market cap, and that's essentially taking the number of shares outstanding and multiplying it by the share price, and that gets you a market cap. If you use Yahoo Finance or something, it's already calculated for you there. So last time we visited this, Jason, Amazon was kind of going back and forth at – it's number three um, and four with Microsoft. Uh, so today, if we look at this, the number four company is Microsoft at a $718 billion market cap. Number three is Google at 706 and Amazon is now number two. Um, so this move they've had up in the stock from about 1,000 to 1,500 over the last eight months has moved them up to the number two market cap company. So they're at $760 billion, um, which is only about you know $340 billion shy of a trillion, uh, and 10% away from the lead. The lead right now is Apple at $838 billion. Apple uh, is announcing, I think, tomorrow, Tuesday or Wednesday. There's a lot of concern around Apple. Um, there, uh, you know, we've talked about the the new uh, speaker they have. Uh, you were not a huge fan of that one, uh, and that has been kind of a dud. Uh, the iPhone X hasn't been blowing off shelves, and they have a China problem. So, uh, you know, there there could be a, a change in the guard here in the next week because you have this kind of combination of looks like Amazon had a blowout. There's a lot of concern about. Apple, we'll have to kind of see how they come out. But but anyway, long term, if we kind of think about this, uh, uh, oh, uh, leading up number five, 
is Facebook at 497. They've actually dropped pretty considerably since this whole um, Russian interference thing has kind of come up and, and walloped them. So the the number for listeners to keep in mind is when Amazon gets to 1700, they should be in the lead. And then when they get to just around that 2020 number, they should hit a trillion dollars. So, uh, you know, we've uh, I've been calling that they would be the first to get to a trillion for a couple of years. And uh, it seemed like that was a long shot and it's increasingly looking like it's theirs to lose. So we'll see. How much will you personally make if they do that? No comment. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, uh, we mentioned at the outset that, uh, uh, Jeff also released his annual shareholder letter. Um, so, uh, you know, there's a bunch of interesting facts in that letter every year, but the, this year there was one huge marquee fact that caught everyone's attention and was a, to- um, uh, somewhat of a big reveal. And, uh, that fact is that Jeff Bezos does not know how to do a handstand. Yeah. Yeah. I was there surprised. Was a, yeah. Is a kind of a painful personal admission. Yeah, yeah. So he told a little personal story that uh, involved the fact that he couldn't do a handstand. Um, and after he got through that, he mentioned that, oh, by the way, we have 100 million paid Prime members. Boom. Yeah, this this is a surprise because they've been very private about this for since inception. So um, I think everyone was caught off guard when they were reading the letter to see that, and it caused quite a frenzy. Yeah, I, I feel like uh, our friend of the show, uh, Jason Delray, like predicted back in in like 2015 that he thought this was going to be the big year that Amazon finally revealed their prime number. And so he was he was only off by three years, which is better than some people. Yeah. Um, but so that we were talking a little bit before the show, that number um, uh, requires a little bit of context, but it certainly was in the range of a lot of the estimates um, that, that various folks had been making, right? Like, I mean, certain order of magnitude, would you, you call that like sort of in the sweet spot of those estimates? Yeah, there's, so the wall street guys were kind of clustered right around this hundred million number. And, uh, so a couple, couple things. So, so you have to always parse what, what these guys say very closely. So that, first of all, they said over. Um, so that gives us a pretty big range, you know, something somewhere over, uh, you know, a hundred million and one up to infinity. So there's, there's a big range there. Uh, but you know, I think we can assume, you know, I doubt it would be more than 110. So I think I, I would guess it's between a hundred and 110. I don't think they would. He would have know, said over it, 110 million if it was over 110. Maybe, but then they're very catty too. So for all I know, it could be like 150. So it's really hard to guess with these guys. Um, but that being said, so if you take that 100 million and it's paid, so just to remind folks, there used to be a couple free entries into Prime and they've sealed those off. One used to be Amazon Moms. Uh, now they've wrapped that up into the family program Jason was talking about where you can have multiple people on a Prime account. Uh, and then so it's kind of more of a household thing. Uh, and then number two used to have free for students. Uh, and this was largely to get their textbook business, which is quite lucrative. Um, and Amazon now no longer does that. They give six months free for students. It's a very long extended trial program and then four-year discounted until they graduate. Uh, so uh, all those programs have now pretty much converted to, to paid. So the only free prime out there are people that are either in their 30-day trial uh, or their six-month trial if they're students. So so largely, you know, when you survey people and they say they're prime, I think they're mostly going to be paid, maybe plus or minus 10%, but, but pretty small delta there. Um, and this is a global number. So most Wall Street people had, uh, and if, you know, when you, when you take Amazon and you want to 
take their global number and parse it. I usually go 60-40, so 60 U.S., 40 international, which is kind of how their their GMV goes. Um, so, uh, so for example, that ad number at $2 billion is probably 60% U.S., 40% international. Now, ads are probably less developed international, so I may fudge that and look at 70-30 or 80-20. But I do think for, for Prime, it's pretty mature in all the markets. So I would say that $100 million is going to be 60 U.S., 40 Although domestic. There are a bunch of Prime benefits that are exclusive to North America still, right? Like grocery, uh, a lot of the digital video content. Video, I think, is national now. Um, but oh, uh, okay, um, the the like the Prime, the grocery delivery from Whole Foods is certainly unique to the U.S. Um, yeah. Uh, some. Uh, yeah. So. Uh, okay, so uh, I'll give it to you. So 60. But 30. in the UK, you get same day. So it's kind of. Yeah, but that's a tiny little island. That's cheating. Okay. But there's I'm a just pretty kidding. big part of Europe. <laughs> so. Uh, oh, so, they're not part of Europe anymore. You didn't get the memo? Brexit? It hasn't happened yet. All right. We're counting them. Uh, the, the one outlier is there's this company called CIRP, and I forget what it is. It's like Consumer Information Research Protocol. And uh, they had uh, Amazon at $90 million in the U.S. So so I think they kind of are off a bit. Now, uh, you've always pointed out they do surveys of really small numbers and then extrapolate them. So they like survey 10 people uh, and nine have prime. And they're like, well, certainly 90 million people in the U.S. have you – know, it's not that bad. But uh, So I think that's the one data point that was a little bit off. Um, so – you know, the way to think about this, and I always see this like 60, 70, 80% of US households have Prime. If we take this number and we say it's 60 million, there's 126 million households in the US. So this puts it right at 50%. Um, so 50% of households in the US have Prime. That that feels right to me. And then I think if you, you know, if you parse that and look at demographics, it, you know, if for household, this is the way the Census Bureau defines it, for household incomes over 120K, uh, you're going to look at like 80, 90% penetration. Then as you go lower, it's going to get a lot, you know, down at the sub 50K, it's going to be 20, 30% of those households. So, so I, that all feels and checks out to me. Yeah. Um, two things that are interesting to me. So you, you crank up prime membership to 120 bucks a year. You have a hundred million paid users. Um, you, Start the every year with twelve billion in revenue before you sell a thing, um, which uh, is a pretty nice asset versus every other retailer on the planet that starts in zero every year, um, with one Costco. exception, which is our friends at Costco. <laughs> Beat me to it. Oh, um, <laughs> And uh, so I, I always like to compare Prime memberships with Costco. Um, so Costco has 90 million paid uh, members, and Costco is almost exclusively, or I think is exclusively North America. So so they're still uh, significantly ahead of Amazon, which is interesting. Um, and just a reminder on, on Costco's model uh, – this is an oversimplification, but Costco almost strives to break even on all their sales and essentially um, make uh, their their annual um, profit be the that Costco membership fee that they earn every year. Yeah, um, and so like pretty interesting. You know, uh, Costco membership is less expensive than a Prime membership, but like it's. Uh, Costco members tend to skew older than Amazon members at the moment. So it's kind of interesting. You 
you would certainly think that if you're looking for what the cap is on Prime members, it's certainly not the $60 million they're at now. It's at least the $90 million. And since Amazon has a much broader demographic than Costco uh, in North America, like, you know, you, you can imagine it's even north of that. So, you know, maybe one day uh, after Amazon passes that, that uh, trillion-dollar mark, you, you know, we could see them um, in that 90 or $100 million, uh, just in North America. Yeah, I've seen analysts uh, do a bunch of surveys on this, and there's a pretty high, you know, it's almost like 85% overlap of Costco and Prime members. Yep. It's, it's pretty high. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then the other interesting thing to me about Prime is uh, there was also some news that was alluded to in the shareholder letter, um, but uh, uh, Whole Foods is actually um, in the process of uh, turning off all of their existing affinity programs. Um, and it's uh, pretty clear that they're going to be replacing um, the the Whole Foods affinity programs with Prime in those Whole Foods stores. Um, and that's going to be a, what, a, a whole interesting set of new experiences um, and, uh, you know, another lucrative uh, reason that, that people might, like, uh, become Prime members or, or at the very least uh, retain their Prime membership. Very cool. Um, and uh, with that, it has happened again. Uh, we've used up all our allotted time. We've tried to be a little more concise uh, for this deep dive. Um, but if you have questions or you feel like uh, Scott or more likely I got something horribly wrong, uh, we'd love to hear your point of view on our Facebook page. So jump on over there and leave us a comment, and we'll try to respond as quickly as possible. Um, you're always welcome to reach out to us on Twitter. And if you found this uh, show useful or valuable, uh, we would certainly appreciate it if you'd spend 30 seconds and jump over to iTunes and leave us that five-star review. Thanks for those five stars, everyone, and thanks for joining us this week. Until next time, happy e-commercing. You've been listening to The Jason and Scott Show. For all the latest news and trends on e-commerce and shopper marketing, subscribe to us on iTunes or visit www.jasonandscott.com.